0: Remember last week, the angel, uh, or a couple weeks, when the angel comes to Mary. You remember how, how Mary responds uh, to this angelic message that she would carry a son. Um, in fact, let me, let me read what Mary says. This is in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. This is after she had been told who this child would be that she carries. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. A few years ago, there was a a middle school girl. She was on a field trip with the rest of her classmates. And they hadn't been off the bus for very long. And she started to have pains in her stomach. And they got worse and worse. So finally, they called 911 and the ambulance came. And they soon discovered that she was actually in labor. And so they took her to a nearby building and she delivered a healthy baby girl. No idea that she was pregnant. Her family had no idea that she was pregnant. Apparently showing no signs of pregnancy. And I I read something like that and I'm going, how is that possible? It blows my mind Uh, that that type of thing could happen. Uh, Consider the shock factor here for Mary when she hears these words. I mean, here's a young girl, potentially 12 to 13 years old saying that she would carry and give birth to a son, not just any son, but the Son of God. Um, I mean, what do do you say to that? Uh, I mean, we know very little about Mary. Um, We know that she was a a committed and concerned mommy to Jesus, uh, even though she didn't fully understand who Jesus was and would be. Um, you know, she's not identified as someone who is uniquely gifted or has special qualifications to be the earthly mother of Jesus. Um, but God has graciously determined that you know, with, with her role and in place or her, her relationship to Joseph, that she would be the one to carry his beloved son. And that you know that didn't make Mary a sinless saint. But it did qualify her as one uniquely blessed among all other women in the world. God showers His grace upon this young girl. So she could rejoice. She could sing. She says, who, He who is mighty has done great things for me. So what's Mary's role in this story? She accepts and believes the message that's been given to her. She submits to this message, the Lord choosing her and promising to serve in this unique way. And so, I mean, realize what this meant. That that meant the the crummy feelings and the nausea that comes with that first trimester. This is what I'm told. I've seen this, I haven't experienced it. It meant the, the weight gain and the aches and all those things of late pregnancy, that expectation, that fear. Mary's case, it also meant enduring the stigma and the shame of pregnancy outside of marriage. Um, Betrothal—it it was a little more serious than a uh, more serious arrangement than what our engagement would be today. She was not married uh, to Joseph or a part of his household at this point, um, but it was—it was a very strong commitment. Um, And this, the virgin conception, I mean, what what a mystery, as as mysteries come. But this is of the Holy Spirit, I think of Deuteronomy 29, it says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. So Mary is entrusted to carry and live with this miraculous and secret work of the Lord God. So what can we learn from Mary's response? I think there's a lot of things we can learn. We have to focus on just a couple of them. Um, Mary humbly submits to God's plan for her. uh, Even when she doesn't understand it fully. Um, I mean, is that not the heart of faith? Uh, To submit and trust the Lord to work what is best for us even when we don't understand it. We must submit to His purposes. Hold fast in faith. And that faith is going to have seasons. Seasons of of drought. Seasons of growth. I mean, Mary continued in her, in her understanding of her role as the mother of Jesus. Who He was to her. In Luke chapter 2, it tells us that you know, the message of the shepherds after... Uh, you know, she had given birth, that she pondered these things in her heart. Our faith grows, matures. And this is going to look differently for each of us. Now, we're running this, this same race of, of grace, this race of faith as brothers and sisters in the church, but our paces and our, our strides are going to be different. So that this means there's time for encouragement, time to, to spur each other on, say, hey, let, let's pick up the pace of faith. Through fellowship, through time in God's Word and worship. Um, Our faith is is strengthened by these graces of God in our lives. And we need to encourage one another in this. We also need to be patient with one another. Um, You may be learning things in your walk with the Lord in a way that a brother or sister is, is not quite learning in this season of life. We need to acknowledge that, be gracious with one another, knowing that there are, are some who may be sipping on that spiritual milk while others are chomping on steak right now. Um, our faith will grow and mature uh, as we hold on to the gospel. Let's take a look at Joseph for a moment. Again, we don't know much about uh, Joseph, except that he was an upright man living in Nazareth. Um, after the birth of Jesus and their trip Uh, down to Egypt and back, they return to Nazareth, and we really don't read any more about him in the Gospels, except in reference uh, as the father of Jesus. Uh, But we do know Joseph's lineage. He comes from the line of David, David comes from the line of Judah, Judah from Jacob, Jacob from Isaac, Isaac from Abraham, those are pretty important names in the story. The most we read of Joseph is in Matthew. And I'm going to read several verses here in Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> Beginning of verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... comes to Mary with the news. Now in Matthew's account, the Lord discloses this uh, to Joseph in a dream. Uh, Joseph would have been older than Mary. Betrothal was usually in those late teen years, 18 to 20 years old. Some traditions actually consider Joseph to be much uh, older than this because he's not mentioned again. Um, Likely, he may have even died before uh, Jesus really gets into his earthly ministry. We're not sure about that. Um, But Joseph... Desires a faithful wife. So betrothal is usually lasting about a year. And you know, not like engagements we're familiar with now. They would not have spent a lot of time together. They wouldn't have known each other very well. Um, but he knows now that she's pregnant. That says a lot about her to him. Um, probably not the girl for him. And he has every moral right, every legal right to divorce her, which is his plan. Um, He's going to break this off early. But the Lord shows his concern, his care for Joseph, by coming to him and saying, Joseph, don't be afraid. I know your plan, but here's my plan. This child will be yours through adoption but this child is mine through conception. Uh, Don't be afraid to take Mary, to take this child as your own. I'm assigning you with this responsibility, with this commitment to her and to the baby. Um, That really helps us understand Joseph's role, doesn't it? Um, He he needed to keep his betrothed, care for Mary. No doubt had lots of questions, no doubt confused at times about this whole thing. I mean, he had an honorable plan, but God had a different plan. He was to provide for Mary, provide for this son, whose name he knew already to be Jesus. This child was not his own, but because of his uh, adoption, Jesus could legally be called the son of David. So has the Lord ever changed your plans? Perhaps your very well thought out plans. I mean, I don't say that tritely, but I think we could all probably make a list. Um, more than, when, when the Lord's direction and plan for us has been life-altering, when I mean, we had goals, we had dreams, maybe you're in that place right now. Goals, dreams. But the Lord's plan, which was His plan for you from the very, for you from the very beginning, uh, was not what you had envisioned, or maybe even desired. How do you respond when it becomes clear, just like it did for Joseph, that the Lord's direction in your life is not what you expected? I think the natural, that, that somewhat self-protective response is to get frustrated, to get bitter, to get angry. Why is this happening? This shouldn't happen this way. When we consider our lives before the Lord, we're reminded that we are not our own, that we belong to to the Lord, that His grace is sufficient for us, His plan for us. That that moves us just a step closer to contentment, to humble service, even a deep joy in His plan for us. I mean, for Joseph, things on the surface certainly were not as they seemed. I think that's true for a good share of life in the kingdom. Things in God's economy and his plan are rarely just as they seem on the surface. Are your plans open to change, open to the revision of the Lord? All right, we need to move on. Look at some of the other people here. Luke chapter 2. From Matthew back over to Luke. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And skipping down to verse 18, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened the shepherds what do you think about shepherds <laughs> important people in of the time important people in that culture not a chance not a chance important people in god's story big time um, you know shepherds did not have a good reputation That they couldn't keep the ceremonial law because of of their work. They were unclean. If shepherds were moving into the area, that was probably a sign that other people were moving out of the area. Um, But God loves these shepherds in such a way that the first birth announcement goes to them. Uh, He gives them the privilege of carrying this message. and Then they get to listen to a pretty good choir to boot. Uh, God... God goes to the lowly, despised shepherd with His message of love, His message of joy. Their role is to take the message. Their role is to rejoice, to believe what they've heard. God used them to to spread this word. They could share with Mary what they've they've learned about her son. They could share with anyone who would listen just how great this message is. Was that they'd heard and seen? I mean, that's quite a responsibility uh, for the lowest class people in Israel. But isn't that like our God to bring His message of hope to the lowest and to the despised? I mean, He really does choose working-class sinners to be His faithful ambassadors. That's our God. He blows away every every expectation. That we have of the who's and the what's and the where's. Shepherds had no status, no credentials before God. They didn't have status before men. And neither do we. But the Lord has graciously given us a message. A message of good news. And we're going to talk more about that in the last stop in the journey next week. So you want to make sure you're here on Christmas Eve. Um, But we're excited and compelled to share this gospel that's been entrusted to us. In the case of the shepherds, there in, uh, in verse eighteen, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I mean, people were amazed. All right, uh, they would have marvelled at the message. They also would have marvelled that it would from of the messengers. They would come through shepherds. Um, you know, some who were probably excited, believe the message. Um, others who were who are more amazed and scratching their heads that this could uh, could actually be the source, because you know shepherds you couldn't even you couldn't trust them. They weren't trusted in court. I mean, this is just an interesting story. My friends, really nothing has changed in the hearing and receiving of the Gospel. When we sing joy to the world, when we, when we sing silent Night," some of those, those favorite carols, and we do this unashamedly, we announce that this season is about a Savior. A Savior who was born for for us, for the salvation of men. And some are going to respond in faith. Some will will shed tears of joy knowing that in their hearts this is what they've longed for, this is what they've hoped for. And others are going to hear the music of the Gospel and they're simply going to wonder. Maybe they'll do so with warm fuzzies, a cup of hot chocolate. But they're going to remain unmoved by the message. My prayer is that we would respond to this gospel message from the heart. I mean, even if you're here this morning, you don't, you don't understand all this. You don't, like the shepherds. That you would be filled with joy. Want to proclaim this message faithfully. So while, while Mary is giving birth that night, perhaps even well before labor started, uh, and Jesus was actually in her arms, uh, there were those who were coming to visit her uh, this is in Matthew 2 again. Going back to Matthew 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So these are the the Magoi, the wise men, or astrologers coming from that place out out there. The place where the sun rises in the east. Um, These are the the noble, educated type who counseled kings. They were not kings in and of themselves. Um, And then the picture we have in our minds of the the three kings, which we saw march in so faithfully this morning. Of the three kings, it's really symbolic because of the three gifts that we're told, uh, told about in Matthew chapter 2. But in reality, there's probably many more of them. Um, more of these, these wise men. They would have servants, maybe soldiers, coming along with them uh, to see uh, the Christ child. But God gets the attention of these men in a way that they would understand. I mean, they're stargazers. They, they know the stars. And so when they when they see something that's, that's different, it catches their attention. So they're well outside of Israel, but they're familiar with the prophetic language. Again, this is the Lord showing His love, showing His concern for these wise men. He gives them the sign. He gives the star. Something amazing has happened. In the last oracle of Balaam, this is in Numbers 24, He says that a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And these wise guys know about this. Uh, Who carries a scepter? What kind of person carries a scepter? A king, right? Kings carry scepters. And now there's a star we haven't seen before out there in, in the West toward the land of Jacob. Hmm. And so the wise men follow the star. Again, not fully aware of its significance. But there was a new king that they were going to go pay homage to. Isaiah 60 says, "And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So the nations are represented here by these wise men coming to worship this rising king. What was their role? To respond to the sign that God had given them and go worship. They may not have understood all about this baby, what He was all about. Jesus could have been almost two years old by the time they arrived to see Him. We know He really wasn't older than that based on Herod's actions. He could have been much younger. But they worship Him with gifts fit for a king. These people, these wise men, really should show us, really should reinforce something for us. God can and will get the attention of whoever he wants to. For these men it was a star. Was something that they, they knew that they could, could place in their world of interest. So think for a moment. What, what did the Lord use to get your attention? To the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. did you first come to know this gospel message? Maybe it was a person in your life who was committed to you. Sacrificing for you. It was an event that just brought you to your knees in worship. It just, it just, it just entered into your world. And so the wise men act on this truth that's been given to them. They offer to Jesus the very best of what they have. Um, you've probably seen this on a banner. You see it on, on Christmas cards this time of year. You know, wise men still seek Him. If you've read that, do we pay attention? To the Lord's leading and direction. Do we, do we offer Him our very best? Whether it's resources, abilities, time. Our very lives are an offering of praise to the Lord. So the trip of these wise men, again, we don't know their names either. Just like the shepherds. Uh, that should kindle our devotion. It really should, uh, should spur us on to worship. Okay, one more person I want to look at. Uh, This takes us away from the nativity scene for just a minute. We mentioned King Herod earlier. Herod, this is Herod the Great. He's given kingship over Judea by Rome, and so he's been king now for about 30 years by this point. Um, Powerful, smart man. Uh, There were many projects, many building projects, and and things that were uh, completed during his reign. Uh, But he's also a crazy man. Um, He's immoral. He's a violent man. He kills several within his own family. Just out of paranoia, he might lose some power. So when he hears the news of a new king from these wise men, he's feeling a little threatened. Um, And the text says, he was was troubled and all Jerusalem troubled with him. You think, well, you bet they're troubled. Who's he going to kill next? And we read later that he does kill. He kills many children in the area of Bethlehem in an attempt to get rid of Jesus. Has God cared for this person? How could God care for someone like that? It was immoral and brutal as King Herod. Um, I think the answer is right in the words we've already read here in Matthew. Uh, before the wise men offer their gifts to Jesus, they have a special meeting with Herod. You know, they, they tell him about the sign. Herod's own scribes and priests recall the words of the prophet Micah. Christ would be born in, in Bethlehem. And the Magi have confirmation that this has actually happened. So what are you going to do with that, Herod? You've been given the message. a little Different, different words, different uh, source than the shepherds. But it's still the message. That Christ, the very shepherd of Israel, has come. So Herod's role is a little different here, isn't it? Herod and his court provide directions, so to speak, uh, to these wise men, and then they, the star takes them the rest of the way. But his response sets in motion the events that drive Jesus and his family to Egypt. Out of Egypt I called my sons, says the prophet Hosea. So God is fulfilling his word through the actions of King Herod. Much like Caesar's decree that we looked at last week. He's, he's moving the pieces, moving the story along. Herod claimed that he wanted to worship Jesus, but in his heart, all he wanted to do was create distance. Get rid of Jesus. He rejected the grace of God that had been shown to him. Takeaways from Herod. Most certainly, sin against God is absolute foolishness. It blinds us to His will. It blinds us to reality See, we can't trick God. We can't play games with Him. Sort of circumvent, go around His purpose. Herod is so concerned with his own perceived power that can, he can't bring himself to see the One who has real power. So rather than worship, that, that's the goal of the Magi, Herod's on a manhunt. You know, and there are some today who really are out to destroy the faith. The coming of Christ, the gospel message, uh, it is so offensive and so repulsive uh, to their perceived control and power that they will do all that they can to distance themselves from it. If that means taking me out, taking you out, they'll do it. But you know what? The, The message keeps going. The message goes on. There were many little ones who died at the hand of King Herod, but the king returned. Cannot thwart the plans of God. No matter how hard we do this or try to do this in our sins. There are others who will try to, to distance themselves from Jesus. They'll do this not with just flagrant, outright fighting, but with indifference. Well, That Jesus, that that faith. Well, if that works for you, great. I'm happy for you. Uh, but keep it out of my life, would you? Uh, very, very common during this season. You know, Christmas is a fun, it's a jolly time. We sing those Christmas hymns, but that's where it ends. Uh, the words of the songs, the very music of the gospel, is ignored and just passed off as comfortable tradition. We sing "Deck the Halls" and "Away in a Manger" just back to back, and no one. We don't care. Um, church, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be ignorance and indifference, as there was in the time of Christ's birth. But don't stop singing. Don't stop singing. Um, don't stop seeking the King. Stop with a, seeking a deeper love for Him. So I want this season to just usher us into a time of praise, renewed commitment. To the Lord Jesus. God has come, He has come for a people. He's come for you, He's come for me, He has come to redeem all things and to give hope to people. So may we be a people who love Him, who trust Him, who live with joy before a watching world. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Lord, we do thank you that you have come for us, that you have come to our rescue, that you have taken on flesh, Lord Jesus, living a life we could not live, dying. That's why you came. Fulfill that mission to go to that cross on our behalf, that we would not pay the penalty for our sin. You have carried this for us, Lord. You have taken your life up again. You reign. Our incarnate King now in heavenly splendor at the Father's right hand. Come quickly again, Lord Jesus. Bring your second advent. Restore your kingdom in full. May we be a people who long and wait with eager expectation and great hope. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.